So over the years of preaching, which is a weird thing for me to say, years of preaching, aren't I? I'm like 22 years old. How can I be years of preaching? At least I try and act like it sometimes. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk with different people that have preached at this church and other places, side conversations about preaching. We actually had a little group that used to get together and, and, and talk about preaching and, and what's that like. And what I always thought was interesting is we come about it very differently, uh, each one of us. And one of the interesting things is how we deal with the stress or the anxiety of it, right? Some people are, they, they stress out over deciding what to preach on. Uh, or they're, they're stressful about the study time, right? And then that's just kind of, you know, maybe a good nervous anxiety. And, uh, but for others, deciding and studying is great and they don't get nervous until the lights, right? Until something like that happens. And, uh, they keep that kind of nervousness through the sermon until that final amen. Well, for me, I'm kind of got some nervous anxiety. At the beginning, deciding, and through the study and the preparation, and it builds today. Like when I woke up this morning, it's at about a 75, and it just goes and gets bigger and bigger until um, about right now. And what I shared, what I shared, what I shared with the others that was, I think, somewhat unique to me is when I say the first sentence of my sermon, I get this relaxing peace because the ball is rolling. And whether it's going to be a train wreck or if it's going to be good, there's no changing it at this point. So why wait any longer? The first sentence. Trusting God can be hard. If God asks you to do something that just doesn't seem right, maybe it doesn't match up with what your eyes see as the best thing to do. It can be hard. Sometimes God's ways won't make sense to us. He does things his own way and in his own timing. Trusting God can be hard. This morning we're going to be looking at some passages in Jeremiah chapter 32. And in Jeremiah 32, we are given an account of a time when Jeremiah was asked to do something that just didn't make sense to him. It didn't make sense to him for one reason, because based on some things God had told him were about to happen. And he believed God they were about, was about to happen. A little background information. It was the 10th year of Zedekiah being king of Judah. At this time, the Babylonian army was besieging Jerusalem. They were about to take it over. The enemies were at the gate. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had his eyes on conquering Jerusalem and burning it to the ground. Jeremiah had been told by God that this was going to happen and that Zedekiah the king would even be taken away captive. The years of idolatry and the worship of Baal and the worship of other gods had brought about this judgment, and God had told Jeremiah that the judgment was going to happen. And at this point, even, Jeremiah was in prison, most likely for telling the king that it was going to happen, because the king didn't like that bad news. 
We're going to jump in at Jeremiah 32. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. And we can hear what God tells Jeremiah to do in this story. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to say to you, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field. Please, that is at Hanathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin. For you have the right of possession, and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Jeremiah says, I bought the field, which was in Anathoth, from Hanamel, my uncle's son, and I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. In the midst of what I had just told you, he was to buy property in an area that was about to become occupied territory. That doesn't make sense. God tells Jeremiah to do it, and Jeremiah does it. Right after he does that, Jeremiah gives us four things that he knows. He prays to God four things that he remembers about God that helped him just simply obey when it didn't make sense. And I want to spend a few minutes this morning looking at those four things. They are, on the outline if you have it, the four things are remember his power, remember his love, remember his knowledge, and remember his justice. Let's take a look at each one. So Jeremiah chapter 32, we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to look at 17, 18, and 19 is where we're going to spend most of our time there. Jeremiah 32, 17, 18, and 19. But Jeremiah 32 says this, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Jeremiah remembers to himself and prays back to God this one thing he knows. He is dealing with the creator of the world. Not a prophet. Not someone who knows some things. Not someone who has superpowers or an Iron Man suit. But the creator of heaven and earth. And the creator of heaven and earth tells him to buy this land. And Jeremiah remembers God's power and obeys. 2 Kings 19.15, Hezekiah prays this. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you are have made heaven and earth. We're not dealing with 
a small God. We are dealing with the creator of heaven and earth. And when we are asked to do something that doesn't seem to match up with our eyes, we need to remember his power. Number two, remember his love. Jeremiah 32, 18 says this in reference to God, who shows love, who shows loving kindness to thousands, but repays the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them, O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. The Lord of hosts is his name is the one who shows loving kindness to thousands. This God that requests of Jeremiah to buy land in what is about to be occupied territory is the God of love. Way back in Deuteronomy 7, verses 8 and 9, we have an account that says this, Deuteronomy 7, 8 and 9, because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to thousands of generations for those who love him and keep his commands. Remember his love. We have the advantage of having the New Testament, which Jeremiah didn't. And in 1 John 1, 4, literally John tells us God is love. Remember his power and remember his love. And the third point is remember his knowledge. Jeremiah 32, 19. Great in counsel and mighty in deed whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Remember his knowledge. God is great in counsel. God knows before and he knows after. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. Remember his knowledge. God knows before and after. If we think of these things, that I, just because of my age, one of the things that will always impact me was 9-11. No one knew the morning of. God knew. And God knew what would come after. When we have surprises in our lives, armies rising up, attacks for things happening, God is aware of them. God knows. And why we can trust God when it doesn't make sense is because God knew what came before, but he knows exactly what's going to happen after. A privilege we don't have that I'm aware of. Whether it's illness or sudden death, God is aware and Lord willing, he's prepared us and put things in place for that. 
how to trust God. Remember his power. Remember his love. Remember his knowledge. And the fourth point is remember his justice. And I'm going to read the same two verses over again, 18 and 19, and just turn them a little bit to see what else they have to say. Jeremiah 32, 18 and 19 say this, Who shows loving kindness to thousands, but repays the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them, O great and mighty God. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 19, Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. God shows loving kindness, but repays iniquity. He is just. God gives according to the ways and the fruit of our deeds. God is just. Remember that he is just. Paul tells us in Romans twelve nineteen. Never take your own revenge. Behold, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Because God is just. We must remember his justice. We can trust God when it doesn't make sense. When we remember these things. We can trust God because he knows all things. Because he is justice. He is all-powerful, and he is all-loving. When we don't understand, it's good to remember that the problem is always on our end, and never on God's. Now, I dropped you in the middle of this account of what's happening in Jerusalem and the life of the king and the life of Jeremiah the prophet. And I'd like to read a couple of passages that come right after this to just kind of round out the story and give you an idea of what God is trying to teach to Jeremiah and how this whole example is an example to us. The first one is Jeremiah 32, 25 to 28. Jeremiah 32, 25 to 28. You have said to me, O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with the money and call in witnesses, although the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will take it. These contrasting things, buy the field. In what will be occupied territory, I guarantee you, yes, that is exactly what's going to happen. Even God allowing Jerusalem to be conquered is part of what he wants to happen at that time. Is anything too difficult for me? No as he strengthens even Nebuchadnezzar to take the city. Conquering Jerusalem is something God has Nebuchadnezzar do and something God allows to happen. 
Moving on in the passage, Jeremiah 32, verses 36 through 44. Jeremiah 32, 36 to 44, I'm going to read. Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the city of which you say, it is given into the hands of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all of the lands which I have driven them in my anger, in my wrath, and in my great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me always, for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them, but do good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, so that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I'm going to bring on them all the good that I am promising. Fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money and sign and seal deeds and call in witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the areas of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland. I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. God is the God of restoration. We can trust him if we can remember exactly who he is. He talks about the restoration of this field, the restoration of Judah, the restoration of God's people, and the restoration of all of God's people. And the field is really simply an illustration of that. Earlier in Jeremiah, in chapter 31, he gives them a promise. Jeremiah 31 through 34 says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with the fathers in the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was husband to them, declares the Lord. But this covenant, which I make with the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and in their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will already know the Lord. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. He makes that promise in Jeremiah 31, and then he gives this example that we just went through of the field in Jeremiah 32. God says in that Jeremiah 31 passage, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember your sins or their sins no more. This only happens because of Jesus Christ. And God knows it because he can see in the future what they don't know yet. 
Remember, their country, their city is being overrun because of sin. And as I think about my life, the lives of the people I know, do we have sin in our lives? Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God in his infinite wisdom and in his love and in his justice and in his knowledge and in his power did what it says in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Romans 10.13, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Trusting God with our eternity, with our lives, with the salvation of our souls, can be hard if we don't understand who he is. Trusting him in the circumstances in our lives to just do the next right step, possibly buy a field in what is about to be occupied territory, can be hard. But what can help us is if we remember his power, if we remember his love, if we remember his knowledge, and remember his justice. All of these things roll up into what is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we acknowledge that, we will find ourselves willing and able to trust and obey God. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and these examples that you give us of Jeremiah trusting in a tough situation. But yet the words that he speaks back to you, Lord, that we can see those and help to remember who you truly are, Lord, and that we can trust in you and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us this day, Lord, to have faith that is overwhelming beyond anything that we see with our eyes and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.